0: Okay, I am excited. You know, we are in week number five of this five-week series. So, I do want to say this: if you happen to have missed any of the other weeks, you're not going to be lost today. You will be. You can come in right today, right where you are, and you still will get a lot, potentially a lot, out of this today. So, we are glad that you're here. Let me catch you up on my last 25 years. Um, my last 25 years. There are many things in my life, um, especially eating, um, that I want to talk about. And I forgot to admit this to my wife, and she may be, there she is. I thought she might be with the little kids this morning. Yesterday, as we came to fix the sign, or not fix, to put it up, um, I stopped at McDonald's and I knew it all the way down Page Street. I was like, I'm going to McDonald's this morning. It was early, earlier than I usually get up on a Saturday, and I didn't want to, but I was like, I'm going to go to McDonald's. It'll make me feel better, and it did. It made me feel really good. I loved every bit, and I'm not going to tell you all what I ordered because that's just take going too far because I ordered a lot and it was delicious. And the thing that got me, I was like, you know what, I've got some cash in my pocket. I can pay cash for this McDonald's. It was so good. So my last 25 years, that kind of summarizes it. Um, I love to eat, and it's as if I don't know when to stop. When I start, I just don't know when to stop. Uh, As Cole and I were talking about this teaching this week, um, he made a comment, and it applies to me, and I want to share. Cole and I both we don't have body by Bowflex. We just don't. Both of us, we have body by biscuits and gravy. And, and that is the truth. I absolutely love to eat. And it's not just food that I have problems with. I also have trouble with work. Not, not working, I have trouble with handling uh, my work time. I will find myself, I have in my life, found myself going through seasons where I would work 15 hours a day, seven days a week. I wouldn't just, I wouldn't take off. It would be 15 hours a day, seven days a week, as if I didn't know when to stop working. And that was, that little season for my life was about 20 years. 20 years long, I did that every single day. And i let you know this, I'm still recovering From that. I am a workaholic. I'm still recovering. For the past 13 years, I have still been recovering from that, but I have been recovering. Uh, But I'm still getting over the damage that I created in my life based upon that reality. I just didn't know when to stop. That's how I were, as if I didn't know when to stop. The list of things that some of us have trouble stopping. We could go on and on and on. There could be very many more for all of us. And it can be really revealing as we begin to admit, here's where I struggle. These are the things I can't stop. And for some people, it may be vegging out, um, just kind of grabbing the remote and hitting a binge on Netflix and just going and, going and going and going and going and hitting the next one, the next one, the next one into the night When and that point when you know I should be sleeping because I'm sacrificing my tomorrow But we just keep going as if we don't know when to stop. Uh, We could do that with the internet and being on the internet and just continually uh, on the internet in an evening, sacrificing time with people, family, uh, sacrificing uh, our next day if we're late into the night. Um, It could be shopping. It could be Pinterest. It could be Facebook. It could be Instagram. We all know this, that movement right there, the swipe, right? Um, We know that because, and here's the truth, all those online platforms, especially Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, things like that, nothing they do is on accident. They actually have the psychological science behind it to know what colors to use and what things to do to keep us swiping. Swiping. And that's what they do. It is not an accident. And we can get to the point where it's as if we don't know how to stop. We can take something that's a good thing, and if we don't know when to stop, it becomes a bad thing. And that's where we get this scripture. That's where we draw from. Proverbs chapter 25, verse 16. Do you like honey? Do you like donuts? Do you like the internet? Do you like kalachis? I don't know how to to say it, but I sure do like them. Do you like uh, Do you like uh, Big Macs? Do you like Do you, anything? Do, do you like Do you like honey? The writer says he says, "Well, don't eat too much, or it'll make you sick." And I want you to know this right now. If you have a child next door, this is our two five two, and right over here is our first look. If you have a child next door, this is the verse that they're focusing on today, and it's also our springboard verse this morning. And I want to give you the kids' life app. Bryce is going to put it on the screen for us. Here's their life app today. This is what they're learning about this verse. And so this is the phrase they're using, know when to stop. And then this is their springboard verse for that. So they are right now, our leaders are prepared and ready, and they're teaching your children that too much of a good thing can be dangerous. We need to know when to stop. And if we find it difficult for us now, back in this room, for us teenagers and adults, if we find it difficult to stop something, then here's what that means. That means something then has some kind of control over us if we find it difficult to stop. Something that is not us Something outside of us has some kind of control over us. And when something is controlling my time or my decisions or somehow a little bit even our lives, anytime something is controlling us, anytime, it's because at some point we have given up that control to something. We didn't know when to stop. That's the problem. And that brings us to our series title, my own worst enemy. I am. But it doesn't have to be that way, and that's why we're really here today. And that's what this whole series has been about, As we have been talking about, along with your children next door every week, we've been talking about self-control. So for four weeks, your children have been talking about self-control, we have been talking about self-control, and now here we are at week five, and finally, we hope to finally be able to say that, that we want to take control away from food. We want to take control away from that habit of overworking, that habit of internet. We want to take control back from video games or pornography or sugar or something else, anything that we might have trouble stopping. So take a good look at me. You don't have to say it out loud, might hurt my feelings, but what do you think I have trouble stopping? Just look at me. What do you think I have trouble stopping? What do you think I have allowed to control me? You're probably right. Exercise. I just can't stop. (laughs) I just can't stop. You're so brilliant. You're so brilliant. I know all of you were thinking that. I'm obsessed with Exercise. Of chewing is really my exercise. But too much of anything is going to lead to a habit. And that habit, if we're not careful, is something that can begin to destroy us. Something where we can begin to get stuck. We can also get stuck with things like grief. We can get stuck in our grief. Um, When we uh, can't get... Through those stages of grief, when we've lost a loved one, we can get stuck in grief. We can get stuck in anger. We can get stuck, I've already described, in work. We could even get stuck in some kind of sexual relationship with a person. We can get stuck on just about anything in life. We have the capability of getting stuck. And once we get stuck, usually we begin feeling guilty because we know we're stuck. And we say something like this to ourselves, man, I, I wish I could get out of this. And we may not admit it to other people, but inside our, our, our head we're saying, I, I wish I could, but I can't. I can't, I've tried. We say, I ought to be able to get out of this. I should be able to get out of this, but I can't. We realize that something has control over us. And sometimes we... In that stuckness, we begin to feel sorry for ourselves. We begin having a pity party, and we maybe just resign to the reality, and we say, I give up. I've tried. I can't change. Now, today, this morning, our children are learning know when to stop. But I've already admitted to you that I have trouble knowing when to stop certain things. I have a problem with that. There are some things in my life I just don't know when to stop because once I get started, I can't stop. And the truth of that is anywhere that's a problem for me, it's because I don't have self-control. Now, we talked about this on another week, this thing called willpower. Willpower is a good thing. It can help us. It can get us, uh, in a moment, give us what we need to kind of stop something. But we said that willpower is limited that we can use it up in a day and it's not available for the rest of that day. Willpower is limited. So last week, we actually said the best use of willpower is not fighting temptation. Really, the best use of willpower is to use that willpower to learn a new habit. And then that habit keeps us away from that temptation So that willpower gives us the power to develop a habit. We said that last week. And in that case, if I'll do that, then I am becoming wiser and I'm using that willpower to help me do things throughout the day, developing habits, which will keep me in the habit and away from some of these things where I have trouble, where I say I can't stop. But here's why I say all of that. Because even in what we said last week, there is a critical step that is missing. We didn't have time to talk about that last week. Now you can take what we said last week and and the scripture and the passages and still you can get a lot of good out of that. That's why we taught it. But we knew this week we needed to add one more step, a final exclamation point to this series. And maybe we could say a final fill in the blank because what the blank that we're going to fill in today actually is the key for the entire series. It is a critical step that's needed. And perhaps it's the most important step related to self-control. And so it's this most important step that's really going to tie everything together that we've talked about. So for me to know when to stop something that has control over me there is another element, another factor, another influence that's involved. And that brings us to our bottom line today. Right off the back, I just want to tell you, here's our bottom line. This is what it is. Knowing when to stop requires the right start. Now, we're going to be breaking this down this morning. If I want to stop, I've got to have the right kind of start in order to do it, because even good things can become harmful to me if we don't know when to stop. So we better start at the right place, because knowing when to stop requires the right start. Now, I'm going to give you the answer now to what that start is. So I'm going to give you the answer in case you need to run out of here, and in case I've said something you don't like, or you have an emergency and you need to leave, I'm going to give you the answer, but then we're going to spend the rest of my time with you this morning breaking that answer down, and I want to present to you a lot of reasons why we reject that answer that I'm going to give you. So here's the thing, knowing when to stop requires the right start, and the big answer to that is this, here's the start. I'm choosing to turn my life and will over to the care to Christ care and control. Let me say that again. The right start is this. I'm choosing to turn my life and will over to Christ's care and control. That's the only start that is going to make anything that we have taught over the past 4 weeks really really powerful, life-changing and for it to make sense, this is the start. Now, there's a guy named Matthew in the first century, and Matthew spent three years following Jesus very closely in the same circle. They walked together, they talked together, they prayed together, they ate together. He was with him every day pretty much for three years, all the way up to the death of Jesus, which he saw as well and witnessed as well. And Matthew then saw Jesus walk, he didn't see him walk out of the tomb, but he saw Jesus alive after he died. He was an eyewitness to see Jesus, his heart was beating again, he was really alive, not a ghost, uh, not not, uh, some kind of mythical being, he really was alive and Matthew saw this. And Matthew actually sat down and ate meals with Jesus after Jesus was alive again. That tells you something. Jesus was physically alive, and he saw it. And Matthew then went back some years later and wrote down his experiences he had with Jesus. We call it now the, the gospel of Matthew. He wrote a book, and I'm gonna reference this book and God's spirit gave him everything he, he wanted in that book. And Matthew recorded this. So Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, as Jesus, he begins to speak, he's talking to everybody. And you can almost imagine they lean in to hear what Jesus is going to say next. And Jesus said this next. He said, come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Jesus says right here, he says, come to me he's speaking to everyone who is there and he says, come to me. It's as if it's God's invitation because Jesus is God. It's God's invitation to everyone who's there saying, come to me. All of you, he says, he's saying, you all have this uh, uh, opportunity right now in this very moment to come to me. And he, Jesus said, I will lighten Your load, whatever that load is, and and we kind of know what that is. I don't have time to break that down. We know exactly what he was speaking of. But even yet, still today, Jesus would be able to say to us, Hey, 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 come to me, I'll lighten your load. Come to me, and I will give you relief. He says, I'll give you rest. And then Jesus says, exactly how this will happen. And here's what he says, verse 29. Oh, I wish I could stop here and just talk about this. This is one of my favorite passages. I don't have time, but boy, do I want to. Take my yoke upon you. Wish I could break that one phrase, that one word, yoke. I want to break it down. I just can't. I got to move on. Take my yoke upon you. Jesus said, let me teach you because I am, he says, here he describes him as a teacher, I am humble and gentle at heart and you will find rest for your souls. He says in verse 30, for my yoke is easy to bear and the burden I give you is light. Jesus says, give me control, he says to the people there. And I think he still says to us today, give me control and I'll take your life and you just watch what I do with it. Oh, I love that. But did you notice what Jesus said that he would do? If we we do this, we're gonna find something in our lives because of him. Verse 29, he told us, and you will find rest, For your soul. Rest for your soul. Peace for your soul. Rest and joy. Uh, Okay, okay. So when things around me are not okay, somehow Jesus is saying, you can still be okay when things are not okay. Oh my goodness. That sounds like peace. Peace. That sounds like rest. And I hope you'll be honest this morning. And in your heart, alongside of me, I'm right here with you. In your heart, answer this question right now. Where is your soul? Where is your soul right now related to rest and peace? Are you tired? Christ and I, that's the first thing we started talking about this morning when he came in. Are you worn out? Are you burned out? Are you burned out on religion? Are you burned out on the trappings of what we call this is church? Are you hurt? Are you burned out? And and so that leads us to this next question. You may be feeling everything but rest. And everything but peace. So here's kind of where we're headed this morning. What keeps you and me? What keeps us from coming to Jesus for that rest and that peace? What is it? What keeps you and what keeps Harley from giving Christ full, complete control? If we said, and we did, that's the answer to the right start, then what keeps us from doing that? From giving the control that I have over my life and the control that whatever that thing is that's controlling me, from that having control, what is it that keeps me from giving my control over to Christ, the control that that has over me over to Christ? What is it that keeps me from doing that? Because I've already admitted to you this morning, I can't do this. And I am tired. And I have failed. And I am my own worst enemy. And I have proven that over and over in my life. I hardly can't control myself. Now, here's the great paradox. We've talked, uh, I think this is going to be the year of the paradox. We've talked a whole lot over the past six weeks about different paradoxes. Here's, here's another one a great paradox. It's the paradox of self control. It is complete self control. Okay? It's complete self control. But actually, It is complete God control. That's the paradox. But it's not over yet. There's more to the paradox. So it's complete self control, but actually it's complete God control, but actually it's complete self control. Harley control. That's about the best I can explain it. (laughs) It's a paradox here's a way to look at it. Bryce mentioned this a couple of weeks ago. Self-control. It can't happen without him, but it won't happen without us. Self-control. It can't happen without him, but it won't happen without us. That's about as much as I can explain it. So what keeps me trying to manage all of this myself. What keeps you trying to manage the things that we know we're having trouble controlling and managing, but what keeps us trying to do that ourselves? Here's the first thing. The first problem we have with today's information of we've got to give that control to Jesus. Here's our first problem. It's pride. Pride keeps me from giving Jesus control. Pride says, ha, I've got this. I've got it. I can do it. I've got it. I don't need help. I can do it. the, The reality is, yeah, 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 yes, yes. We do have this. We've got this. And it's what got us to the point where we are right now. So our got this just got us worse. That's my reality. My, oh, I got this just got me some more pain and some more time in this problem. So that's the first thing. I just just the big umbrella of what keeps me from giving that control to Jesus. The first thing is my pride does. But here, here's the second thing fear keeps me from giving control over to Jesus. It, it's fear because we are afraid. If you're anything like me, we're afraid of what I might have to give up. I can remember so so clearly. I was in Arkadelphia as a high school student. It was kind of, uh, we were at a a youth camp, and it was kind of the meeting after the meeting. You know, you kind of get with uh, one of the leaders that you're really like, and this was a college student. And we were talking and talking and talking, and he was talking about what he had to give up because he he was trapped by some certain things in his life, and he was talking about what he had to give up. And I was thinking in my head, I don't want to give that up. I mean, you gave it up, but I don't want to give it up. I don't want to give that up. I didn't admit it to anybody, but I said I don't want to give that up. And that is a fear I've carried with me in my life. There are certain things that I'm just afraid. If I give God all this control, I had to deal with that. I I, I thought, there are things in this life I don't want to give up that he might ask me to give up. We think, I don't, I, I don't want anybody controlling me. Not even Jesus. I, I don't want to be controlled. I want to be my own boss. I don't want to have to be a slave to anyone or anything. But really, who are we kidding? Who am I kidding? Who are we kidding? We are already controlled all the time. We think that we're saying no to Jesus. And that gives us more freedom because I can still do what I wanted to do. Because I don't want to be a slave to Jesus, perhaps. And maybe that's what we're thinking. I don't want to be a slave to Jesus. But the reality is, if we aren't a slave to Jesus, the only option is that we remain a slave to something much worse. We remain a slave to sin. And the evil one is so crafty. He has eaten my lunch for a big portion of my life. He's so crafty because we believe that's freedom. That's not freedom. So here's another paradox. I love calling it a paradox because it's, on, it's almost as if I can say, here's this weird statement and I don't have to explain it. <laughs> here's another paradox. With my freedom, I can choose my way and it guarantees slavery. Or I can choose slavery to Jesus and he guarantees my freedom. I want to say that again. With my freedom, I can choose my way and it will guarantee every time slavery. Or I can choose slavery to Jesus and he guarantees My freedom when you give your life and your will over to the care and the control of Christ he tells us that he sets us free now John is another man like Matthew that traveled with Jesus for three years John was at the cross, at the foot of the cross when Jesus died. We're not sure where all the others were. We know that they knew what was going on. But John, we know, recorded, he was there. He saw it. John heard Jesus say this. John chapter 8, verse 34. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. Everyone who sins is a slave of sin. In other words, John is saying, or Jesus is saying, you're giving control of your life over to that thing. But right before Jesus said this, listen to this. He said this first, verse 32. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So we're talking about this truth of Jesus, the truth here that he wants to set you free. Now let's jump a little forward. A couple of verses later, Jesus says this in verse 36. So if the Son sets you free, you are truly free. The evil one has us afraid, oftentimes, that God is going to take away our freedom. So instead of that, we become a slave to sin. But I believe that real freedom is choosing who your master will be. And I want to choose Jesus. Here is something else that keeps us from giving Jesus control. It's the last thing I'm going to talk about that keeps us from it. And I think it's worry. Worry keeps us from giving Jesus control. We worry about so many things. We think, well, I I can't change. I've tried. And we say, well, let's just face it, I just can't change. Many of us have been in a room like this at a youth camp or a church meeting or a small group, and we've heard similar things to what I'm talking about today in those places. And we may have made some agreements there. And we said, yeah, I want in on that, whatever that was, whatever they were talking about whatever scripture they use, we said, I want in on that. And then we went home, and and over the course of time, we realized, hey, wait, nothing's changed. All I can say to that is maybe maybe we have confused the decision-making phase of all of this with the problem-solving phase of all of this. You see, they work together, decision-making plus the problem-solving, but they don't happen at the same time. You don't solve a problem first. You make a decision first, and you say, it's time that I solve this problem. It's time that I do something to see this problem solved. And then you begin to solve the problem. And many of us have reached that point at some time in our life of the process where we say, yeah, 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 I need that. That is what I need. Yes, I agree to that. I need to see this problem change. But then we go home and we stop there with that decision that, yes, I, I admit I need to see that changed, But we didn't take any step following that or not consistently. And so we may have made a decision to say, yes, I want to give control of my life over to Jesus, but then we stop with agreeing with that and then we stop there and we work uh, and and we don't take that next step of working with him to begin actually solving that problem. It's like pulling up to a a stoplight out here and it's like pulling up to that line and I'm going to stop and I'm not going to go, I'm not going to press the gas on my car and go until all the next stoplights between here and the interstate are all green at the same time so I can just keep going so I'm waiting for them to line up and when everything lines up just right then I'll go but it doesn't work that way if that's the way I do it and I've done that before maybe you've done that as well then we find ourselves stuck at the line and we never go we never go because we can't solve the problems first It doesn't happen in that order. We make the decision. I say, yes, I'm going to open my life up to the care and the control of Christ. Yes. And yes, I have doubts. Yes, I have questions that are not answered yet. Yes. Yes. I do. I I still have fears. Yes, we admit that. I have fears. Yes, I still have worries. And yes, I may not know how it's all going to work out at the end. But I know right now this is the right thing to do. So I just do it. I say, okay, I'm going to let this control shift from me to him. You see, knowing when to stop requires the right start. And the right start is this. I'm choosing to turn my life and will over to Christ's care and control. But let's not fool ourselves. This is so important. Don't miss this. Let's not fool ourselves. When that decision is real, the process behind it gets real. I want to say that again. When that decision is real, the process that follows gets real. It won't stop change will always follow, always follow, with the process that follows. And if we are really in that process, change begins to happen. Maybe the most important thing I'll say today, the Christian life is a decision followed by a process of Jesus changing us little by little by little every day. I read something. I, I, I love documentaries. I love history. I didn't know I loved history until later in life when most of my life was history. <laughs> I love history. I read something. The Marines had this uh, definite strategy in World War II. Um, when they were in the Pacific, and they would go to retake an island that had been uh, taken by the Japanese. They used this same strategy on every single island that they took, and it worked every time. So here's the first thing they do. The Marines would just go, and they would just bombard the island that had been taken captive. They would start bombing it, and they weren't even on the island. They just, from a distance, bombed it all kinds of explosions, can you know, consistently over the course of time. And they called this the softening up period of that. And many of us in our lives, because of we feel like explosions are going off everywhere in our lives. Things are going wrong at every turn. Things that we didn't see coming. Some things we knew were coming, and yep, they did. All kinds of things may be going off. And And we could see that as potentially a softening up period, getting us to the point where we say, yeah, yeah, something's got to change. Something's got to give. All kinds of explosions going off. We say, what's going on right now in my life is not working. Something has to change. And maybe some of us right now in this very moment, we're saying, yeah, that's me. There is shrapnel everywhere in my life and it hurts. And other people are hurting. So maybe today we come to the point where we say, yes, I need something beyond myself. I need something more. And so what has been going on is maybe my pride has been softened up to where I'm suddenly now saying, God, I need some help. I need God in my life in this point. There's just too much, too much stress. That was the first phase, the softening up phase. There was a second phase, the Marines... They would then establish a beachhead. And it may have just been 20 yards deep, you know, and by like, you know, 200 yards wide. It may have been small. But they would just get a presence themselves physically on the island. And when they established a beachhead, was the island liberated? Nope. Nope. They just got in there. That's all that happened. But from there, the Marines would begin to fight battles. And sometimes they'd move 100 yards forward or 100 feet forward. And sometimes they would be driven backwards and pushed back. And sometimes they'd win a battle and sometimes they would lose a battle. But everyone knew once they had the beachhead established, total liberation of the island was inevitable. And it was just a matter of time that that island would be free. And in the history of World War II, once the Marines landed and established a beachhead, they never lost an island. It was just a matter of time, and that island would be set free. And when we take this step that we're talking about today, the step that says, I'm choosing to turn my life and will over to Christ's care and control. What's happening in that moment is God is going to get a beachhead in our lives. And the Bible calls this um, several things. One of the things the Bible calls this is being born again. At the church in Malvern and Cole over at Stuttgart Harvest Church this morning, one of the phrases you hear us often repeat is becoming a Christ follower. We say that. We say often making Jesus the boss of your life. It just means this, that God is getting a presence in my life. Now, does that mean now that everything in my life is perfect and and the decisions are are good and everything's great and, and we've got these problems solved? Absolutely not. That is not the case. It just means this, that God has a presence in my life. He got a beachhead and the rest of my life, the rest of my life, this side of heaven, he is going to be in the process of setting me free little by little by little over the rest of my life. One battle at a time. It's a process. Some days I'm going to go a hundred feet forward. Some days I'm going to fail miserably. But it's not over. It is a process for the rest of my life. So don't worry about it i say just trust god with the process so let's think about it you say harley i've already done that and nothing changed well my evaluation of that because that could that could have happened my evaluation of that just probably says we probably just didn't fully understand what all was involved. Maybe we made that decision and then we were attending a worship gathering like this and we attended and intended and attended, but no changes took place. Maybe it's because we didn't do the next thing, we were just attending. and maybe we made a lot of mental agreements in here and said yeah 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 that's good that makes sense but then we left and it ended there until next week we came back and we said yeah yeah again yes 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 again and we left and nothing changed we didn't do anything with that we call those next steps we always suggest a next step or two every sunday but we by no means say that those are the next steps. God may be telling you a very different and specific next step for you in your life, but maybe you didn't take that step. Or maybe you did take some steps. Maybe you did take some steps, but maybe maybe we only took the steps that we said, yeah, yeah, I'm okay with that step. I'll take that step. Yeah, that one's okay. I'll I'll, I'll do that. And maybe we kind of treated it like following Jesus was kind of like a buffet, And I'll have some of this, and I will take that step. Yes, yes, yes. Oh, I'm going to avoid that. (laughs) I'm not even going to that side of the bar. I'm going to avoid that altogether. And maybe we just took the ones that we were okay with, the ones that really weren't all that challenging, or the ones really, and we just kind of treated it like a buffet. And it just, I just have to say, it just doesn't, giving Jesus control of our lives, it doesn't work that way at all. That's me still being in control. So let's go back to the start. Knowing when to stop requires the right start. And here's the start. I'm choosing to turn my life and will over to Christ's care and control. Which says, I'm going to give it up. Control. I'm going to let it go. Control. And I'm going to give that control to Jesus. Throughout this series we've talked about what we've called the three S's. And we have encouraged you to to, to take a step in these S's. To to be a part of a worship gathering. Every week. Be a part of a worship gathering. to To be in a Uh, To end end in that, take a next step. So there's the second S. So we have Sundays, and then we have a next step every Sunday. Take a step, even if it's not the one we suggest. Talk with God and take his step. Every Sunday, take a step. And then we said the third thing, be in a small group. And let's try to figure out how to do this Christ-following life together. yeah it's messy because there's people in small groups and if you haven't realized it yet they're messy and so am I I'm messy and I bring my mess into a small group and they bring their mess into a small group and together sometimes it gets messier but we work with God's spirit to walk with each other through the mess as he changes us so Sundays being apart take a next step every week and small groups but today is really the ultimate step that makes all of those steps meaningful and brings full life and power to all of those so how do i take the step today if i were to say yeah 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 i'll do that harley the three s's yeah I'll count me and i'll do that how do we do this today step where all that power really is located. How do I take this step? Here's the first thing. I accept God's Son as my Savior. The Bible tells me, the New Covenant writers, they say, Harley, you need to be saved. You can't save yourself. You need to be saved. And what happens in life is we get softened up to the point where we will either completely walk away from God or we get softened up to the point where we say, okay, here's I, something's got to change. I do need God. I can't do this. I've tried. I need him. I need him to have a beachhead in my life. And that's me saying, Jesus, I need to be saved. I realize I need him in my life. Here's what the, uh, those first uh, apostles said after Jesus went to be with the Father in heaven where he is today at this very moment the apostles then were sent with the task to go start the church. And they were in that process trying to do what Jesus said. And some folks said, hey, what what do we need to do? What do we need to do? And here's what they said. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved. I don't have time to break that down. I wish I did. It's more than a mental assent. It is really that transfer of ownership that's taking place. Believe in the Lord Jesus. It's It's a transfer of ownership. It happens there. What does that mean? It means I'm committing as much of myself and as much in that moment that I understand of myself, which may not be much of either, but in that moment, it's as much as I understand of myself and I'm committing that to as much as as I understand of Christ. And that may not be much either. But you say, Harley, is that good enough? It's good enough. I accept God's son, Jesus. As my Savior. Here's the second thing we need to do to make this step a reality in our lives. I accept God's Word as my standard for living. From now on, I say, I've got, I've got a manual. He gave it to me. And I would say, focus on the new covenant. He's got that manual. Give it. And I love the old covenant. I do, I do, I do. But for this life and living the Christ following life, you're going to find it in the new covenant. From now on, you say, I've got this manual to live my life by. And and fortunately, we do. And God says, this is your standard by which you evaluate everything you experience. It's filtered and evaluated through, not by what I think it should be. It's evaluated by, we learn to do that over the course of time. It's evaluated only by what God thinks, not what I think. And we do that with his word. The Paul in the New Covenant, he wrote a letter to Timothy. It's he probably wrote more than one. Well, we know he wrote at least two, and we have those recorded for us. Second um, Timothy chapter three verse sixteen, and this has become part of our Scripture as was God's plan. And he says this: "All Scripture, speaking to Timothy, is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong, and it teaches us to do what is right." And as he wrote this, I don't have time to break this down, but Paul was also talking about the writings that were already beginning to circulate among this early church, the early churches that were written by. The apostles, like Matthew, and like John that we read from earlier. And so here we say, okay, so God has provided us this writing, and so I I need to get to the place in my life. And there's part of this step, we really can't do it without it, where I say, I'm going to accept God's word as my standard for living. Am I going to meet that standard I'm probably going to fail more than I mean it. But it's a mind change where I begin to say, that's the standard. That's where I'm headed. God gets the say. God gets the say. Here's the third thing. I'm going to accept God's will as my life strategy. In other words, where God is saying to go, that's what I'm going to try to do. I'm going to go there. God, what do you want me to do? And before he tells me, I just want you to know in advance, God, the answer is going to be Yes. And I may struggle with it, and I may be trying to figure this out, but I'm going to go ahead and say, my answer is yes. I'll I'll let you help me figure it out as I go. But before you tell me, if it comes from you, God, I'm going to give you a yes ahead of time. So the first question when we wake up in the morning is, God, this is your day. What do you want me to do with it? Where do you want me to go? How, How do you want it to be? How do you want this day to end? Now help me to let it end that way. What do you want me to do with it? David, who was said uh, by God that is a man after God's own heart. Here's what David says in the Old Covenant, Psalm 40, verse 8. I take joy in doing your will, my God, for your instructions are written on my heart. So God, what you say, I'm going to say yes to. You're going to write them on my heart. God, I'm willing to do anything, anywhere, anytime. I don't have to understand it. But God, I'm going to live my life on your terms, not my terms. You have a purpose and a will in my life that you want to fulfill. So I say yes in advance, even if I don't know what it is, even if I don't understand what it is, even if it doesn't make sense to me right now, and I look at that and say, that's crazy, it doesn't make sense. But God, if that's your will, I'm going to say yes. I accept God's will as my life strategy. And here's the fourth thing. I accept God's power as my strength. Again, Paul writing this time to the believers who met in, uh, they call them the Philippians. They, they met in Philippi. Here we go. For, for I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength, he said. Everything. No longer do I have to rely upon my own power and my own energy to make this work out. You know, Do you realize when we plug things in here in the electrical outlet, things go better, they actually work? And we'll actually plug it in. And our life is the same way. I get plugged into God. And God, I say, this is you. It's it's you. If you're saying this is your will, you're going to figure it out. I don't have to. You're going to figure it out as we go. I'm going to stay plugged into you. Plugged into you, God, into your power. And I believe God says that I will give you the power to be everything I want you to be. And to get all these things I have for you done. I'll take care of that. You know, in in the book of Revelation, also written by this guy we talked about named John, um, this writing, and especially this phrase right here, essentially Jesus is speaking and he's speaking to the church, okay? So this was not written to hardly, and this was not written to you as an individual. It's written to the church. But I do want to extrapolate from that. And I do want to say this, that I believe we can say that Jesus would say this to us. And it still has meaning to us as an individual, even though it was written to the church. So I want you to know the context is not hardly, but I still want you to know it still speaks to us within the context of the church. Because when you become a believer, you're a part of the church. And here's what Jesus says. He says, look, simple as this. Just look. I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and you open the door, I will come in and we will share a meal together as friends. And I believe as we look at the totality of the new covenant and everything that precedes that in the old covenant leading to the new covenant, as we look at everything, that I believe that we can say, yes, Jesus does have this this mentality, this opportunity of saying, I'm going to stand at your life and I'm going to knock and give you the opportunity to open that door. But I'm not going to bust it in. Your life might be busted up, but Jesus is not going to bust it in. He says, I'll let you open the door. I'm not going to beat it down. It's got to be your choice. Jesus is not going to establish a beachhead in your life without your permission. So today means this, I have to open the door and I I have to ask him to take over. And every single week of this series has been dependent upon this statement. Self-control really is God-control. And I have to choose that. I have to choose that. So our step today, I'm choosing to commit my life and will to Christ's care and control. So I I just want to have a a commitment conversation. Jesus never gave us a prayer to pray, to say, here's how you pray to make that happen. He didn't give us that prayer. Jesus never had an altar call. He didn't say, walk down to the aisle and meet somebody up front. And and, and there's nothing wrong with that. Please don't misinterpret me. There's nothing wrong with that. And there's nothing wrong with the prayer, saying, hey, say this prayer. Nothing wrong with that. So I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying we're not tied to that. So this morning, I just simply want us to have a commitment conversation with God right now. And so here's what I'm saying. I'm just going to restate all those things I just stated. And if in your heart you're saying, yes, That's my heart too. And I don't quite understand what it all may mean for my future. But yes, what you're saying, Harley, I am saying yes to God about that. That yes, I want that to be a part of my life. A commitment conversation. You don't have to bow your head. You can just look right here. Because God is listening to your soul that part of you that I can't describe that part of you that's looking through your eyes right now that part of you that is thinking right now in those thoughts you're saying either nope that's not me or you're saying yep God that's me or you may be saying I'm not sure I'm still investigating so for those who might be ready to say to God right now yeah that's me a commitment conversation, just in your heart, right now, in your heart. He's listening to your heart right now in this moment. In your heart. Are you able to say, yes, God, that's me. Me too. Here's the first one. God, I want your son, Jesus, as my Savior. My friends, that's the transfer of ownership. If you say yes to that, ownership is being transferred from you to God. We call it salvation. And I want you to know this. If that is real, then the process that follows will be real. If that is real, the process will be real. God here's the next one. God, I want your so the process now begins. God, I want your word as my standard for living. So if what you said before is real, now here is the process, the next steps that and and these will become real. Here's the first one. We just said it. God, I want your word as my standard for living. Is that you having a conversation with God saying, God, yeah, me too. That's me, that's me. Here's the next one. God, and this is the process. God, I want your plan as my strategy for life, whatever it is, even if I don't understand it, I I want your plan as my strategy for life. God, yes, me too. Is that you, me too? God, I want your power as my strength. It's part of the process. If the decision is real, this process becomes real. It gets real. God, I want your power as my strength. Here's the last one. When the decision is real, the process is real. It happens. It gets real. Your word is my standard. God, your plan is my strategy. And God, I want your power as my strength. And if that's true, We won't stay at the starting line. You will be a part of a battle to change in your life, a part of it. Participating with God in that battle of change every single day. Matthew also said this, Jesus' words, and what do you benefit? So, if we say no to Jesus and we continue to put him off, what do we benefit if we gain, if we could actually gain the whole world but lose your own soul? And Jesus then asked a the next question Is anything worth more than your soul? And I'm going to answer that right now and just simply say no. And when you take this step today to give everything, everything, when we give it away to him, we've never had it so good. Because he takes what we have given him and he turns it around and he adds to that new meaning and he adds to that new significance. And he adds to that a new vitality in our life. And he gives it back to us in a whole new way over the course of time, restored and healed. And if you're making that commitment with Jesus today, would you let us know on the back of your connection card? Let us know if you're using the online one and just say, I'm making Christ the boss of my life. And if you've already done that and you're saying, but you know what, But that control, I've still tried to hang on to it. And you're saying, I'm gonna go into the process because that's real, that decision's real. So the process becomes real. I'm moving into the process. Let us know where you are. We wanna pray for you. We wanna encourage you this week. And before we sing to Jesus right now, let's pray together again. God, Jesus, you said, come to me. And Father, I pray, I pray that if anyone's been struggling this morning, that in their heart, they can sense that desire to go to you. And you said, if anyone's care, if they're weak, if they're weary, if they're carrying heavy burdens, that God you will give us rest. And God, we understand that the church, before the church, the rabbis gave them such a burden in the old covenant. By adding to your laws, they gave them such a burden, it was impossible to live the way that they said you should live. But Jesus, you said, come to me because my burden's light. And God, I'm afraid once again that the church now has made following you a burden. And we've added all of our own little things and all of our own little expectations. But Jesus, you said if we follow you, the burden is light. And God, while it's only what you can do because I can't explain it, that burden that you give us that's light that cost you everything, ultimately if we take this step, it costs us everything too because we say no longer me, God, but you. You're the boss. And I pray this morning that begins to sink in. And I pray this morning that we begin to sense that if that decision is real, then the process that follows gets real. The rest of our lives, one day at a time, one battle at a time, you make us more and more and more, little by little by little by little, more like you, Jesus. And may we celebrate that right now in song. Thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray these things. Amen.